podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Welcome to the Hedged Edge by RCM Ag Services, where we're getting out of the field and onto the mic to bring you weekly market updates, commentary from commodity experts, and monthly interviews with the biggest names in agribusiness. Welcome to this week's edition of the Hedged Edge. Really excited here today. This is a really uh, an honor for me and a lot of different reasons, but most of all, I uh, had the uh, opportunity to speak with my good friend and longtime esteemed colleague, Jody Lawrence. He's, uh, he's on the line with us today. Say hello, Jody. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? Oh, Thank you good. for having me on. Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. We got, uh, so we got yourself and then after we talk, actually going to have a chance to get out and talk to some farmers all across the country. I'm going to uh, do some interviews out in South Dakota, Kansas. Um, where else are we going today? Let me think. Uh, yep, we're going to uh, Texas. So uh, this is going to be great. So let me uh, start by letting you uh, introduce yourself just a bit, Jody. Um, you know, you've got uh, um, more than two years of experience uh, in the agriculture business. So. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Give us uh, give us your uh, your story. Well, I started in the business uh, 1991, uh, helping out my brother-in-law with his marketing plan. I was an accounting major in high school, so the numbers always came kind of naturally to me. And found that uh, the uh, the variety and the volatility of the futures markets were uh, something that uh, drew, drew my interest. My mom grew up on a small family farm in Ohio and uh, my, with my grandparents, my aunts and uncles. And so I understood the community. I understood the farm lifestyle, even though we did not farm and I didn't grow up on one. I've uh, been around it my whole life. And then when we married in and my brother-in-law needed some help, I began helping him. And that slowly developed into working on the futures uh, and trading side of the business. And then as rules and regulations changed in the late 90s, was able to start uh, writing uh, the market commentary uh, in a very early fashion of what I send out today. And then once did everybody- you to, Did you have to write an essay in order to get into the family or? <laughs> no. Okay, just checking. No. All right, all right, you're good. Okay, go on. And uh, so we, uh, and as it's as as it has evolved over the last twenty five years, the nice part about it is, with the uh, advent of technology, we've been able to. Uh, everybody now has a cell phone, uh, has better bandwidth, and can uh, we can reach a much larger uh, audience uh, simply because everybody. Uh, has now has easier access to getting online and getting emails with uh, with information. So we've been very fortunate. Helena Chemical or Helena Agribusiness is uh, my been my largest customer for the last 19 years, and do uh, go out and speak 
at their locations throughout the Midwest. They've got over uh, 500 retail locations and wholesale customers. And so it's always nice to get out in the field. And it, it reminds me of who, who I'm trying to help when you're in these great small towns, meeting all these wonderful people. And, uh, and don't forget, uh, I've been out there with you, the, the food and beverages along the way uh, um, really also add to the value of those trips. Yeah, the uh, uh, if we don't do any meetings this year, I'm afraid I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm actually going to lose weight instead yeah, of getting go down a few pounds. My, yeah, my, my spring crash diet, but <laughs> it's uh, so uh, it's a lot of fun, and I'll make oh what 60, 70 speeches normally in a in a in, in a regular year. Uh, write the comment uh, just about every day, so it'll go out uh, over 225 times a year. And uh, the distribution list right now is uh, just over 6,500. So that, that, very, yeah, we got to say that again. That's uh, that's impressive because when we first met, I think the list size was maybe 3,000, 2,500. Yeah, and, and since we've been doing this, I guess for about 10 years, it's uh, it's doubled. Uh, and thanks to Helena and Helena's growth and Helena's support of the newsletter, uh, we've been able to get out and uh, get it to a lot more people and getting positive feedback, which uh, rallies like we're seeing right now always help seem to put everybody in a better mood and they have nicer things to say, as opposed to when I was writing three months ago about the possibility of 280 corn. So. Right. That was uh, some scary times. We were At the time, we were actually talking about uh, the insurance being the, the main driver to protecting the, uh, for protection to farmers. So wild, wild uh, few months that we've been, been on here. So, well, great. That's, uh, that's been great. Obviously I've appreciated having you on the team and uh, you know, really you're head of our research team. And as we kind of get going here today and moving forward, I'm looking forward to doing these, you know, every week or two, depending on your travel schedule, if it's not, if you're not traveling, then I guess maybe we'll be doing it more often and uh, be that next new uh, technology piece that you talked about that helps helps get uh, the information that you share on a regular basis out to even more people. So, uh, yeah, that's certainly uh, this year is going to uh, I'm not looking as this year as being a challenge. I'm looking at it as being an incredible opportunity because. Uh, nobody likes to travel. I, I enjoy all the people in the places that I go, but uh, going through the Midwest in the middle of the winter uh, presents its own set of challenges and wears a person down. But the more technology we can do and the faster we can get that access out there, uh, really, I think we'll really just add a whole new level to what everybody on farm and everybody that's already thinking and uh, looking at their books for 21 is going to be able to help make some decisions. So it, I think it's, it's going to present a lot of opportunity yeah. uh, that without the pandemic, I don't think we ever would have fully researched and been able to leverage. That's a, that's a great segue into uh, today's topics, which is, well, here we are, we're, we're post-election day a few days, and um, you know there's some rattlings of the markets uh, really in favor of uh, supportive of crane grain prices. What uh, do you think has been the main driver here post-election? Is, uh, is it truly the anticipation of policy change? Is it uh, more to do truly just the fundamentals, what's going on in uh, South America with their weather as if, as if it was any sort of normal year? 
Um, is it is it China? Are we all now friendly with China, and we're going to be uh, uh, you know singing their praises? What what's the driver here in your mind? Uh, you know, just a few days removed from the election. Well, the the first thing was we we've known that La Nina uh, has been strengthening over uh, the uh, late fall and, and and soon to be early winter. And that historically, about 60 percent of the time will adversely affect uh, South American yields. And this year, you can already see it because the uh, southern third of Brazil and almost all of Argentina are well behind normal precipitation. And everybody needs to remember where they are in their uh, planting cycle. It's November for us, so it's the 11th month, so take six months off of it. They're in their May time period right now. You can imagine that if you were running four or five inches or more deficit of rain, trying to get it in the ground and get it uh, and get it to germinate and, and come off to a good stand, it's, it's, a, it's a nervous time for the markets because the uh, it, in between La Nina, that certainly set the stage. But all of this really started, excuse me, when you go back to August, when we made the bottom shortly after the August crop report, right. which on its face was bearish uh, to neutral, but certainly in no way bullish. But the one thing that kind of started happening was the USDA, we believe, through uh, their various categories that they can use, whether it's feed and residual, whether it's disappearance, uh, uh, you know, just uh, blatant mistakes of previous years by going back and uh, changing the 2019 yield and lowering it. All of a sudden, you ended up with uh, uh, some fairly uh, significant numbers. And while they weren't overly bullish, like I said, what it did, it provided a floor. So on August 1st, when we were talking about the possibility of corn uh, trading well below $3 on the futures board, the next thing you know that, you know, that 280 potentially became uh, 310. And then right after the August report, I believe it was August 10th, the market went down, traded new contract lows in the December corn contract at 320 for and just could not go any further and at that point that was uh you were talking we were talking that being the insurance guarantee right for the majority of the farms that were out yeah it if you took out uh 80 uh 85 percent uh crp crop revenue protection you uh in between the february price if you take 85 percent of that that basically gave every farmer who participated at 85 percent a floor under his market at three dollars and 30 cents so that we traded underneath where everybody with uh, revenue-based crop insurance at 85 percent would have gotten some sort of payment but it didn't stay down there long enough it's certainly nobody's going to get any revenue assistance once we uh, after last month because the price would have been set and clearly it would have been well above even what the February price was on average. So that's a that's a really interesting point because uh, just my mind I'm thinking markets tend to over exaggerate during pa- from panics or over jubilation to the upside and in this situation. If you're saying that the majority of people, we, you know, we don't have the numbers in front of us, I don't have some sort of floor. 
where there's no need to panic anymore because, well, the insurance kicks in, that's going to automatically eliminate a percentage of the market that is going to, in effect, panic due to prices being far too low below their cost of production or you know, uh, uh, you know, it basically eliminates need for that risk. And so markets naturally are going to pause. Is that, do you feel that that's what happened? Uh, that certainly was part of it. Uh, I think uh, the reductions in the August report and then the increase of prevented plant acres, which nobody saw coming. Right. The USDA made a, a couple changes, like I said, that weren't necessarily bullish, but were certainly uh, eliminated a lot of the, uh, of the, the ugly, ugly bearish news. And then in September, when yield was cut and some demand projections were raised, next thing you know, we went and uh, obviously the drought in Iowa uh, that, uh, that kind of got into a lot of late season uh, in the Western Corn Belt. As the yield was trimmed and as the demand picked up and as the prevent plant acres got larger, the next thing you know, we chipped away in pretty short order, and this is all through the USDA and the weather, we chipped away almost what you have to figure was about 500 million bushels of corn. And 500 million bushels of corn, regardless of where you are, is a very significant number because we were looking at a, uh, you know, a a 3 billion plus carryover uh, domestically on uh, end of July, early August before the real teeth of the uh, dry weather started affecting uh, uh, Iowa. And then the next thing you know, uh, you know, 500 million bushels has historically been worth uh, every, we kind of a rule of thumb under normal conditions, normal conditions being corn price between, you know, uh, 350 and 450. So that every 250 million bushels is going to move the futures market somewhere between 20 and 25 cents. So then when we kind of figured that, okay, we've lost about a half a billion bushels in the last uh, three to six weeks. Next thing you know, that that hits the number. We go from 320, 330 to 370, 380. And then as China uh, uh, and the U.S. kept the Kmart blue light special on and- (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that's a that's a very dated reference uh, that, uh, you know, China just slowly and surely without ever telling us uh, or telling the rest of the world that one of two things happened. They either drastically uh, misjudged their government stocks and the, the condition that they were in. It's more than likely a combination of all of these things and that their corn crop wasn't nearly as large as they expected it to be. Well, they had massive flooding too, right? So yes. yeah. River, yeah, the potential dam overflowing. I mean, they had yeah, those massive- Seven Gorges Dam, I believe yeah. is what it was almost uh, right. collapsed. Right. The world's largest dam. And Did you see the yeah, bow just a lot of things. Boeing, you know, mm-hmm. it, was that doctored or real? I don't, I don't know. I, it, it, everything is subject to fake news these days. <laughs> so I don't know. But, it, it, you know, when you look at what just what China did and, and it was their thought and in, in nine out of 10 years, they could they could have done this. If they knew that they were going to be big buyers into the market, why not wait for what looked like 
to be the certainty of an enormous, you know, far record-breaking U.S. crop right. in mid-July to, you know, the first part of August. And then what happened, they basically painted themselves into a corner where they were planning on buying from August 15th forward when we should have been making, you know, making uh uh, harvest lows, a lot of hedge pressure on a on a on a 15 billion bushel corn crop, and what happened? China didn't have any choice. They got stuck, and they started buying, and they kept buying, and uh, they've they've shifted a few things, and there are rumors about others, but they bought some uh, sorghum uh, uh, overnight, and uh, there are more talks of them because they need the feed to. Uh, by additional DDGs and ethanol. So this is going to be very interesting because it, it, it looks like now uh, it, it's certainly a long shot. I think one of the betting sites that I looked at today, uh, Biden was favored to win. It's approaching 90% now. I think it was at 85 last night, but as the votes are all counted from those uh, in the states that are left and everybody feels like is that Biden's why you, you betting on the Tigers? Uh or, or are you betting on the election? They a little bit of all of them. Okay, all right, go ahead. And uh, the uh, with the uh, Biden is believed that he's going to be very friendly to uh, renewable energy sources, ethanol, uh, biodiesel, and that he will take a much softer uh, uh, negotiation tone with the Chinese. So. If the China's buy, buying a lot already, and if for some reason, uh, if, if uh, Biden does win the election and they get into a, it, it will never be in a friendly relationship with them. It just goes from being hostile to less hostile. And if if we get to a point where South America has some problems and China is forced to keep buying because they uh, had a plan and they stuck to it uh, at, at their own detriment, then, you know, this is next thing you know, it's it's not difficult to see how we displaced almost a billion bushels of corn in the world carryover just in the last three months. And that's how, and I mentioned it in today's comment, it's very, very unusual when you look at the December uh, 20 uh uh, chart for December for December corn of this year, you've had the contract low and the contract high within three months of each other, which, which never happens because especially during harvest, right? I mean, yeah, it, it because you it, you know you look back over the course of what can happen in the three years, the trading life of that contract uh, to have everything hit the market from ultra bearish to ultra bullish within ninety days is uh, pretty unprecedented. Let's let's take a minute there and uh, talk a bit about about that scenario and really what the farmers should be thinking about, you know, in terms of how they position themselves to take advantage of currently the current higher prices. Obviously, you've seen your recommendations: sell as much as you can, but hold back a percentage uh, if you've got storage. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, and then also. The, the key point that I want to emphasize as in all of these podcasts is that we cannot live in a vacuum and we cannot live just in the moment, which is in this case, three months. We need to be thinking one, three and five years ahead. But in terms of marketing, 
you need to always be looking ahead. And uh, so first, just let's talk quick, um, current marketing strategies for people uh, that, you know, obviously have storage available, they um, have the ability to put some in the bins. Are we, are we thinking we want to hold still, still hold some back, even though the prices are extremely favorable? Well, I, uh, the carry on the board and the basis levels have motivated everybody uh, as much as possible over the last uh, two months yep. to sell, uh, to deliver it as soon as it came out because of the Chinese demand, because of basis. Uh, a lot of places I've talked that weren't, that had big yields and weren't affected by the drought like Iowa and Eastern Nebraska, they were still seeing uh, a basis anywhere from you know, 20 to 40 cents over where it historically was. And that just shows you. Yeah. yeah. And so by the time you add that in with the fact that there's no carry on the board to speak of, and that a while about before this break, say uh, two, three weeks ago, all of the prices uh, out to July of 21 on the board were almost even at parity, which is unheard of. And what that tells you is that you've got a very demand driven market uh, right now that they are paying up for bushels and they're going to do everything they can uh, to motivate the farmer if he's got storage to just go heck with it. I want to, you know, I only want to touch it once. They're going to give me more money. I'm going to pay off my loans. I'm going to save my debt. I can come in and buy all the call spreads I want for, you know, uh, 10 to 12 cents of the $4, you know, the three ninety to, you know, plus that I'm getting for my corn and, and have a little bit of money to reown it on the board. Yeah. As a, as a percentage, you know, it's, a, it's a tiny, tiny percentage. It's uh, you know, it's like two and a half to 3% that you just have to invest back in. And then if uh, you see some things like have happened uh, yesterday and today, we did sell off at the close, but uh corn was still higher when when you see some outside circumstances and next thing you know corn's 20 25 higher everybody sleeps better knowing that they've got upside protection and especially if things get things get ugly in south america uh argentina in particular looks to be uh it, uh in the bullseye for the worst of it if it stays like this then you know uh, having that just makes more sense i, I understand People hate to not be utilizing uh, their on-farm storage right, because it, it costs. It, uh, it's a cost, but yeah, it, but rewarded it's, by uh, a dollar, almost dollar rally in 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 the in the crop. I mean, take it. Yeah, and you know, and just uh, and and just take the, it. I think everybody has to take 2020 for what it is, even as a non-pandemic uh, year that this is this happens once every 10 years and more more accurately once about every 15 years because even in in 2012 uh at the very height of the drought and the height of the loss the market topped in the middle of in the middle of august and consistently fell from there to where we are now so uh, it, it's just a unique situation that uh, you can't fight last year's battle this year right. uh, or this year's battle with last year's strategy because every year is completely different. I think that's a really good point is that one, 
we're always going to have to go out and plant the crop again. So, you know, what happened last year is not going to be the same as this year. You know, the, in 2019, we had the rally happen in June. Okay. This year it happened at harvest, you know, very rare, like you say, one in 10 years. So, all right, let's look forward a little bit. Um, you know, what's, what's the marketing plan then for the 21 crop? I mean, assuming we get everything cleaned up here in 2020, um, you start looking at 21 where, where can prices get to? And uh, cause that's what everybody wants to know. Where can they get to, but let's be smart too along the way. And uh, I think you've always been a proponent of incremental selling. Can you can you give us uh, your current thoughts? Yeah. The uh, smartest people I know in the industry and when I, and those people are the farmers who've done extremely well uh, and they started out with small leveraged operations and now they manage uh, and own, you know, huge uh, cash funded operations. Even cash funded. Yeah. No debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, they're, they're doing it out of, uh, uh, out of their front pocket and not the, and not the bank. Although, you know, right now with interest rates where they are, right. there's, you know, some school of thought that that's uh, taking on a little bit of debt is not the worst thing you can do because we're certainly, uh, not going to be seeing, you know, two and a quarter, two and a half percent interest rates, uh, you know, long term. Uh, when you talk about it, but and what all these people had in common was uh, made a real effort to understand and know all of their break evens uh, and adjust them regularly. And uh, as yield varied or, you know, as yield went up or down, as costs went up or down. And then they put themselves in a position where the rallies like we've seen uh, that we saw August, September and October, uh, they're making themselves money somewhere, whether it's on the 20 crop, whether it's on the 21 crop, whatever it is that uh, this rally is making their production and their asset of their farm uh, more profitable and making it worth more. So you just have to take out small bites when they present themselves. And I know a lot of people are incredibly frustrated because when corn rallied and, you know, they from 320 to 365 and they sold some corn at 365, everybody at that point still didn't understand the enormity of it because the reality is what our business model has to predict, which is impossible, is A, the weather, and B, the Chinese. And I'm not sure which one is is, is less predictable. <laughs> and when you have both of those, the way it developed this year with uh, the Chinese change of position coming into the export or the import market uh, uh, at such a pace, and then the loss of crop and the acreage, you, you had two incredibly bullish things happen simultaneously right in the middle of the most bearish landscape we can probably remember since 2003 or four back when LDPs were still going on. So it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you just have to be nimble and don't beat yourself up. And that's where owning stuff on the board helps too, because uh, it didn't seem like the best bet, but you could have bought all the upside protection you wanted call options that will, uh, that the December options that'll expire right before Thanksgiving this year, you could have bought all the 380 calls when uh, 
the a 380, 4.20 spread for six, seven cents. Right. You have 40, uh, thir uh, 34 cents, 40 cents total upside. And you could have sold it and said, okay, you know, I've paid for a lot of stuff already. I bought my crop insurance for 25 or so dollars a, uh, an acre. What's another six cents a bushel at this point? Because if this market continues to go, then all of a sudden my 365 looks more like a 390 or potentially four bucks. So uh, unusual year, but it's becoming each year is becoming uh, more and more uh, interesting. We had the, the spring flood of 19. We had the late season drought and the Chinese difference and the pandemic. And you can go on and on about 20. And now what's happening with, you know, the election. But uh, it, every year uh, you, you need to have a plan to where you can sell rallies. And the safest way to do it is to be very cost effective on how you either set a floor underneath it with put options or how you address whatever upside opportunity may be after you've already uh, sold the cash side of it. That's great advice. And uh, I think that kind of dovetails into a favorite segment of yours when I've watched you speak at uh, the different Helena events is uh, bold predictions. So uh, if I, if I had to ask you for one or two bold predictions coming up, uh, what would be uh, top of mind? Watch Argentina. If Argentina's uh, total crop, corn crop uh, falls below trend, uh, that wouldn't even have to fall substantially below trend when you start talking about, you know, two, three or four uh, bushels per hectare. Uh, you know, acres and uh, our vernacular, right. then all of a sudden you've got some uh, crazy things that could happen in corn. Uh, and it, it, at this point, with the delays in seeding, uh, we already know that whatever is harvested in Brazil and Argentina won't be available to be shipped to China for you know, at least another month to six weeks after they were expecting it. Yep. And if you continue at that pace and, and which keeps our window open longer than, uh, than normal into the late winter and early spring, then you have some yield loss to it. The next thing you know, you've got uh, world carryover of beans in particular, very tight. And the U.S. would have to plant uh, plant and be able to harvest a, a, a trend line crop over 90 million acres. And the same applies to corn because there's some, even with the loss of ethanol, which we thought was going to be the absolute death of the corn market yeah. uh, when the first shutdown happened yeah, in March, mm -hmm. we're still going to use 5 billion bushels of corn for ethanol. And that's still over 33% of 178.5 uh, bushel per acre yield. So you've got, and uh, uh, you know, the ratio right now, and I wrote about this today, uh, when you look at the, be the beans to corn for the new crop 21 prices, they're just a, a hair over two and a half to one. <clears throat> and two and a half to one is kind of where you expect it to stay so that it doesn't swing, <coughs> excuse me, swing acreage wildly one direction or the other. And right now, what that tells me for next year with what everything that the market knows is that the, the, the U.S. is and the world markets are trying to motivate U.S. farmers to plant uh, you know, back to a couple of years ago somewhere about 
you know, 90 to 91 million acres of each corn and beans right. simply to, to have any sort of cushion under this market if something goes wrong in South America. So watch, watch South America and then in turn watch how big of a crop we intend to plant. I mean, it becomes uh, the kind of uh, newsworthy items to keep an eye on. Okay. Absolutely. And, th and this is always, always the hook in it. You can look at how they, uh, everybody has placed their wagers, so to speak, on the further out months and uh, the, uh, the 21 and 22 new crop prices, December corn and November beans are lower than where we are now. They're profitable but they're substantially lower than they are right now because what everybody has to assume is that we've got some sort of normal type yield coming out of South America, normal acreage, norm, normal planting conditions, normal yield trend line out of the U.S. because you can't just make a, a really bullish or really bearish bet and say, oh yeah, I can see into you know a year from now and know that the U.S. crop is you know going to be huge or it's going to be disappointing. So uh, th these are the types of rallies. Every rally makes makes you money. It's just you have to figure out which year to sell. Right. Good. Well, no, this has been uh, a ton of fun, Jody, and uh, obviously love having you on. And I think uh, we're going to get after this a couple more times. But uh, before I let you go and we jump out to some of the farms around the country, uh, I do have some uh, uh, non-farm related questions to throw at you. A couple curveballs, maybe, and uh, not too big of a curveball. I, I, we know each other pretty well. It's pretty tough to mess this up. But uh, all right. So. Most important question, you live in Tennessee, what type of bourbon are you going to go for? If you had to make a choice, what's it going to go? What's, what's going to be pulled out of your, uh, your, your cabinet? Without a doubt, it's Weller, either Special Reserve or Antique. And uh, it's, yeah, that, that's a go-to. And uh, since you can't find them in the, in the bars very often, uh, Makers or Woodford because those are going to be a little more readily available. But uh, yeah, neat or with just a, a tiny cube of ice. Uh, if uh, I ever hear of anybody on my newsletter mixing Weller with uh, Sprite or Coke, they will immediately be cut off a subscription. Be removed. And now uh, when you built your house, you put a uh, ice chest in there, a, 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 you, you know, an ice maker. Was that purposely for the bourbon or was that for the kids? It was for uh, it, all of the above because we <laughs> used an enormous amount of ice. And uh, yeah, it, it plays well across the board. The uh, the kids, uh, the, when we built the house, the kids weren't quite into the bourbon like they are now that they're all grown <laughs> adults and out of college with jobs. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's perfectly positioned right next to the bar. Okay, I like it. No, it's good. And uh, I've obviously enjoyed a few with you myself. So uh, you grew up in Memphis, um, best food in Memphis on Beale Street. Uh, it doesn't have, let's say it doesn't have to be on Beale Street, but you know, if uh, someone said, hey, I'm going to Memphis, where am I gonna go? Is it Germantown Commissary? Is it somewhere on Beale Street, they eating catfish? What are they going for? Uh, well, uh, Central Barbecue has kind of moved to the forefront uh, of what everybody expects in Memphis Barbecue. Okay. Uh, if, if you go to Memphis, your, your go-to is you stay at the Peabody, you watch the ducks, you eat at least once at, uh, 
uh, at the rendezvous in the alley across the street. And that sounds completely sketch, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. You're walking right across the street down this alley. And then you walk the couple blocks uh, over to uh, Beale Street and enjoy the music and walk up and down. And if you're there late enough, uh, what, uh, what was it, uh, Mid-South Cafe? Uh, where the tamales are uh, as good as there are anywhere in the country if you're a tamale person. That's good. Well, I hadn't had tamales uh, in Memphis, so next time, next time we're there. Yeah, see. and uh, uh, it, yeah, it can't go wrong catfish anywhere. But uh, if you're going, because uh, all the rage now is about you know uh, Nashville hot chicken and everything else. But if you go to Memphis. Uh, find the uh, drive-through locations for Jack Pertle's chicken. Yeah. Uh, and it, far and away, it's the it's the guilty pleasure of all Memphis trips for <laughs> uh, for me and Brady. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we'll have that Brady on here for sure as well. That'll be uh, we'll do a three-way one of these times. Uh, two more two more questions for you. What is your big golfer? Uh, what is the very best round you've shot in in your life in your career? I'm going to call it a career because we all know you like to play. Uh, I've shot multiple nine hole scores of 29. Okay. Uh, but you, those can't, are can't usually. Can you put them together? Uh, it, well, the, the 29s are usually after uh, I've shot a, a 45. <laughs> and my, my uh, since this is a, a PG 13, my, uh, my care meter is very low at that point and then it just gets hot and everything starts going in or I get the beer intake right. Uh, but, uh, uh, a couple, uh, a handful of 67, 68s. And, uh, recently, uh, I got, uh, played really well, shot, uh, shot 70 and, and my advanced, uh, AARP age 70s <laughs> seems to be my, uh, the, the ceiling of my lowness. Well, I, th I thank you for, um, helping me shoot the round of my life earlier this year when uh, we actually were able to travel and play there in, in, uh, in Nashville. Uh, I won't need to share with anybody how high of a score that was, but uh, pretty, pretty proud of uh, the fact that it was with you. Last question. What are you going to get Beth for Christmas? Uh, I think I just took care of that. Uh, but uh, it, the big thing this year was with uh, our daughter getting married uh, we had some unexpected expenditures at the wedding pop up. So I don't think anybody's expecting anything uh, too large, but uh, we may take a, 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 a nice vacation and just uh, try to uh, finish 20 and start 21 in a uh, better fashion than most of the year went. So uh, that, that's probably just it. We'll probably just take, take another, you know, long weekend or something in yeah. January since I'll be able to do all my meetings like this, do them over Zoom, and I won't be schlepping through Midway Airport on 50 different uh, Southwest flights. Got to figure out a way to maintain uh, your companion status, though. That's that's going to be a challenge. So. The, the, the wedding, I think all the expenses for the wedding, Southwest told me that I have now have companion status for the rest of my life. My life. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, Jody, thanks for joining us uh, today. We're obviously, like I said, going to do this again. I'm going to uh, take uh, a couple, uh, I'm going to be jumping on a couple of calls with some farmers, as I said, across the country right after this. And um, we'll go from there. But thank you again. Absolutely, Oz. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to doing it next time we are able to do this.
Okay, next up, we're heading out to Kansas. We're going to be in Hoxie, Kansas, talking to Jake Moss. Jake, uh, turns out you and I have uh, had a lot of uh, time together out on the road. Uh, we've shared some good meals. I've uh, got to witness you uh, coaching some pretty impressive basketball games. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the last few years. So, uh, Jake, welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate all your time coming out here. Uh, helping us uh, get the producers on the right track. I know it's been a big help. Uh, guys out here really appreciate it. Oh yeah, no, that's 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 not a problem. We uh, I, I love it. Uh, love to you know you guys have kind of embraced me kind of like a local out there. Uh, um, I can't uh, I truly can't thank you enough. And so let's talk local. You got you got uh, basketball season coming up in Kansas. You got uh, you know uh, I, I don't know. You tell me is he, is he a five star recruit? uh Harlan what's what's the story he's a seven footer and uh he's a senior what's what's going on with the Hoxie Indians right so we're a small town so he's he's playing football right now they're, they're still going but basketball season uh will start here in 10 days, 10 days. Uh, like I said you've seen him play it's it's very very weird having a seven foot kid out in this area you don't see it very often but he's a big asset for our team uh, you know, you, you know, being embraced out here, it's like I've said it before, you're Norm from Cheers at the Elephant, <laughs> our, our local watering hole. So you walk in, you're a regular there for a while. So yeah. uh, when you come back out here in January, we'll have to hit it back up and everybody can see Norm again. That's, that's right. That's right. I'll go see Karloff there at the Elephant. Uh, He's no longer there. So um, you're going to have to get uh, acquainted with the new people. Okay. All right. I'm pretty, pretty friendly to most people that surf, surf. So yeah, mostly if it's good beer. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, let's jump into it. Uh, obviously, we talk a lot, but for the listeners here and people that are watching, what's, you know, the drive out there that I made, by the way, 2,500 miles to see you uh, and back <laughs> in July, um, the, the crop was amazing. You know, everything we saw up and down, uh, all across the plains and then up and down through the hills and out to your area, it's going to be a bumper crop. What, uh, what actually unfolded as uh, weather conditions kind of changed? And I know you guys uh, seem to still be right in the sweet spot. I mean, what's, uh, we're, we're mostly through harvest here. What's it looking like? So, yeah, guys are just trying to finish up. Um, like you said, for most of the year, we looked really good out here. And, you know, it looked like for three or four years in a row, we were going to have a big crop. Um, August came and we didn't get any rain. So I know we're in, in an irrigated uh, county. Uh, we have a lot of area that's irrigated, but for those guys that were dry land, that, that dry August uh, really shrunk some yields. And so I think once we got into the fields and saw what things were like, um, you know, guys were explaining to me that, you know, during that August, it's almost made, it's like a rubbery cob now. So it was going through, it was harder to shell grain. Um, the yields weren't as impressive or, or as what they thought they would be. So I think that that dry August trimmed some of the yields. But um, for the most part, um, you know, I think guys did OK. Um, you know, we won't have what we had the last three years. But, um, you know, for, for as good as it looked there the first three months or into July, uh, I think guys are a little disappointed. OK, yeah, it's um, it's interesting how how just that last push on the uh, on the crop really makes a difference. Um, you know, and then you guys being in your ir irrigated part of the town uh, country. Now, 
So you're saying, did you have to use as much water this year or it was a kind of a lower util utilization year in terms of your irrigation? It was about an average year. Um, really all just across our area, the rains were real scattered. So you would talk to a guy who, you know, who maybe caught some of these 30, 40 point little showers throughout the year. And then you talk to a guy, you know, maybe five miles away from him that didn't get anything. So just from the areas that we've seen, and I think it was like this, you know, across the country, it was real, wide, real widespread of who caught some rains and who didn't. And I think at the end of the year, you know, those 20, 30 pointers that added up, there's going to be a big difference for guys uh, as far as how many bushels they raised. That's good. And uh, do you have any crazy weather events like the rest of the country? You know, we had Deshero in the Midwest. We've had uh, hurricanes in the Delta. Did you guys have anything uh, wild come through? Luckily, we avoided all of that. Uh, I know in about the middle of harvest, we had a couple nights where we had some big winds. And really, it was if the rows were planted north and south, that's where the wind was blowing was from the north. It would blow some ears on the ground. And I know some guys lost some bushels like that. If you were planted east-west, uh, you know, the, the crop stayed up pretty good. But you know, last year, a lot of guys, wind came up, it blew a lot of the stocks down. They could only pick going one way. Uh, this year, we didn't have any of that. We avoided a lot of the hail. We avoided a lot of the wind. So we were pretty fortunate on that front. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, good to hear. Now, talking about uh, unfortunate events, we had, we had COVID this year, and uh, that shut a lot of things down, um, you know, different parts of the country, different parts of the agriculture supply chain. You guys have a lot of feed yards and ethanol plants in your area is kind of your demand uh, for, for the crops and the corn, things that you're growing. What, uh, what were you seeing then, like during the kind of height of it in terms of, um, you know, hiccups in the system to where we are today? And how has that also affected uh, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing, which is the change in basis? Right. So as far as the actual spread of the pandemic, um, we are kind of naturally social distance anyway. Um, <laughs> right. We didn't really have many businesses or things like that shut down. Uh, I mean, cattle need fed every day, no matter if it's snowing or there's a pandemic or what. So those, those businesses had to go right. and they, they kept going. And then as far as, you know, the basis goes, uh, you know, here kind of early, early fall, um, you know, we were 25, 30 under, and now it's just, you know, slowly and steadily increased as we've gone throughout harvest. And I think that speaks for, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, there's the shrinking bushels that we had. I also think the demand is there. And, you know, now that China's buying a bunch of beans and getting involved in corn and so is Mexico, I think that's also driving it. So we're having a demand led rally. Uh, a lot of our co-ops, you know, now have gone to 10 over okay. uh, just in our local area. If you get of here, it, you know, I know there's big premiums where you can get 50 and 60 cent pushes. So um, Milo has been a big deal out here too. Uh, you know, I, Milo is a dollar over the board, which I haven't seen for a long time. So basis is getting stronger. Um, you know, the prices are, are uh, rallying at harvest time, which is kind of unknown or unheard of, but uh, I think we'll take whatever we can get. I think that's uh, really uh, almost a perfect storm, but in the right direction. It's kind of like uh, the, the top blowing off the market, you know, from where we were in corn at near $3 to, uh, you know, well, you know, over four today. 
And like you're saying, if you've got a chance to pick up some basis that's even beyond 10, now you're talking 40, 50 over in some areas. I mean, those are some really serious prices. Uh, I guess, what, what do you, uh, what do you recommend guys do right now? I mean, people sometimes I feel like particularly in farming, they'll just always want to believe that it's going to continue higher. It's always, it's always going to go. It's, you know, $5 is going to be here, but you know, if you can lock in four, four ten now, four twenty plus a positive basis, what do you do? Well, it depends on kind of where your grain's at now. If you're at commercial storage or elevators, um, I, there's no carry in the market right now. If you look out to March, May, uh, July contracts for corn and even beans, I mean, it doesn't make sense to pay the four cent storage. So if guys have, um, you know, grain in those types of scenarios, what we're recommending is, uh, you know, sell it at the location, whether it's the elevator, get the cash now, uh, you know, pay down on lines of credit or loans, and then it's much cheaper to reown on paper. And there are several different ways we can do that just by straight buying the board. Uh, you know, one thing that's really popular for I, our guys right now is, is doing call strategies, uh, buying it, uh, buying calls on the board. And that way, if this thing does turn around, uh, you know, you're not forking up a bunch of money for margin. And at the same time, you made a great sell at the elevator. Uh, on the other end, you know, if prices are surging like we think, um, you've got the money and then you've bought calls and, and you're still reaping the rewards uh, of the market going up. If you are uh, in a type of situation where you have bags or storage. Um, that's where we're thinking, you know, along the lines of this basis could get better. And so we're kind of doing a sit and hold type scenario, mainly because guys are, you know, still harvesting right now and trying to get the crop in and they can't do any hauling. But once they're done, we'll look at, you know, what delivery months do they want to deliver in? Uh, you know, what basis are we looking at? And then, um, you know, how, how do we get that done? And so right now we, we've got guys stretched out all over the, the board on, on when they want to deliver. But I think that basis will get stronger and we're kind of hanging tight right now. I think that's a really interesting point about the storage and the bags, because, you know, you think you've shared with me and we've talked about this. Uh, people have invested heavily in either the equipment that it takes to put the grain into the bags or the uh, uh, or into elevators. Sorry, excuse me, into storage facilities on farm storage. So now you're sitting there, we're in a scenario where you've got higher prices right now, you've got stronger basis, and you're saying, well, I've got all this storage, should I, should I be putting everything in there? Or should I be selling and taking advantage of these higher price markets? From what I hear you saying, it's kind of a mix between the two, and maybe even a mix between three, where what we're really talking about is um, take advantage of these higher prices, sell a portion of the grain, potentially reown it on the board. We can get into those strat those discussions, more detail with people. Um, maybe keep 15, 20, 30, 50%, how much into storage? And there's a question. And at the same time, the third piece that uh, people think about right now is forward pricing, at least locking in some of their futures, uh, the future prices. So you can lock in futures prices if you're going to store. So Maybe if you could just comment on that. Right. And so the big thing that we, we've experienced here in the last couple of years and with the help of S FSA and their loans is it's now, uh, you know, a good time to put up storage for one reason is the interest rates. Um, two, last year we had basis go from, 
you know, anywhere from 30 over to we were getting guy or 30 under, then, uh, you know, by the end of the year, we were getting guys 30 over. So, I mean, that's a big 60 cent swing. And when you look at things like that, as far as the storage goes, you can really pay that off in, you know, one, two, three years, depending on kind of how we get going. So as we look at this, um, you know, so once we get guys done with harvest, we'll look at this and say, okay, like we said, there's no carry in the market. Um, there's nothing really flashy about holding it to July when you look at straight prices. So what we can do is we can lock in some of those prices with, uh, you know, some puts. That way, if they still want to have some upside left in this, if it keeps running, they have that. But if it goes down, we've at least got the price locked in. But what we're really looking for there is the basis to continue to get stronger. And that's why you guys, if they have their own storage or bags, that we're recommending that. Um, you know, we may haul out at different periods of the year. We may have some that, you know, 40% may go JFM, some may go, you know, April, uh, May, uh, just depending on what that operation can do. But, um, it, right, so we're not really looking for, you know, the carrying the prices, but we're looking for the carry in the basis that to come up here this summer. That's good. That's a good segue to the next question I have for you. And it's, uh, it's on China. It's, uh, what, what is everyone's opinion of China on your side? Uh, you know, clearly if they want to buy and it's going to push our basis higher and we're going to make more money, that's great. But is there, is, is that, is that truly the opinion of, of the farmers in your area? Do they, they supportive of China? Do they, do they feel that they're, you know, uh, undermining us? I mean, what, what's, what's the opinions going well, on? Well, right? it's all about what have you done for me lately, right? <laughs> uh, so right. <laughs> farmers here, I would say, you know, at the beginning of the summer when the trade war was going on, uh -huh. um, you know, they were probably a little bit pessimistic about China. And okay. I think the farmers in our area just have uh, maybe some trust issues, I think, with what's going on over there, uh, you know, especially leading to some of the virus talk and how that was handled. But, uh, you know, now that they've swept in and, you know, bought a bunch of beans and they've got these prices to soar, you know, things aren't so bad now. But, um no, I think as long as, you know, we have some turmoil in the elections here of what's going to happen. And I think depending on who gets elected, that will change a few things. But um, right now, China is really buying strong and uh, the prices are going up. And you know, even if some guys had some stuff priced this year and they've missed out on some of this rally, then you're still going to plan again next year. And so you got to be looking forward to 21 and what some of those numbers look like right now. And and China, really, the, their recent buying has been a big reason why we we came up this high. It's a it's a really good point. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, during harvest, sometimes it's so easy just to look at what's right in front of you, and it's current prices. We'll get getting the crop out of the ground, and then uh, and then the current prices. But you know, looking ahead, start looking at twenty one, even twenty two. I mean, think uh, look forward look, uh, look for opportunities and, um, you know, really know what your cost of production is and what your profit goals are. And, um, you know, Jake, you're obviously, uh, the man to talk to, to get that done. Well, I think one thing well, you're exactly right is everybody's so short-term driven. I'm right. Because I said, you're the man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But everybody is so short-term driven and they don't even think, Hey, I'm going to plant corn next year. And when you look back, you know, the past five years of the acres amount that has been planted, uh, and let's just say corn, and, 
you know, really, if we talk about the genetics of seed and, and how resilient these things are now, uh, you know, we're going to have some big yields. And so you're looking at a whole nother crop year where, you know, where, you know, say we do have a, you know, 180 bushel yield and we have 90 some million acres planted, whatever that may be. When you look at the board right now and you can see that uh, December 21, you know, we're running pretty close to four bucks. I think guys have to see that. And when you look and say, okay, well, these summer months, they're running 420, 417, 415, and the December's not to four yet. Um, you know, I think people are planning on another big crop. So you do have to be a little forward thinking and it's not like you have to, you know, rush to the board and get hundred percent stuff locked in. But I think getting a start in a base helps you market better throughout the year, because when guys get started and they put a percentage of their bushels on, right. um, you know, they just have better marketing plans. And then, but when they wait and they don't put anything on, it just seems like they, they fall and lag behind in that regard. I think that's, that's smart advice. And uh, you, you uh, segued into yet again, uh, my next question, which is uh, the last farming question. And then we'll get to some, uh, some fun softball questions, which, uh, you know, uh, we'll have some fun with, but is what do you think is going to be the biggest innovation in, ag in agriculture over the next few years? Is it, you just mentioned seed, is it going to continue to be seed? Is it a combination of seed and chemicals? Is it going to be uh, some sort of uh, efficiency and energy usage? What, what are you thinking? Well, everything goes into play into that, but when you, you talk, the seed is the biggest thing and the genetics of, of all of these, it seems like you can grow anything in a sidewalk anymore with, with how things are resilient to drought, specific types of chemicals, um, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, been in the office here five years, it just seems like every year people are having big yields. Um, you know, the technology of a lot of stuff, um, you know, is nice for the equipment and all that. Variable rate irrigation is coming up to be, uh, you know, into play out here as well where they're actually using a technology and putting more water on some parts of the field as opposed to others. Um, we're actually in a water restricted area called Lima where um, irrigators can pump uh, 11 inches a year. What they're trying to do is we're over the top of an aquifer. They're trying to preserve that. And with over the last five years of research, they've showed that the aquifer has actually gone back up. Okay. So in our area, that, that's going to be uh, you know, a big percentage of what guys do. And then that will also change some of their crop rotations because they do, it's a five year stretch where they get 55 inches. Well, you get 11 inches a year, but that's not set. So one year you can grow Milo and use five and the next year you can use 16. So guys will have to be strategic about that and how they, they use that. But I would say those would be the two biggest things in our area going forward. That's good. I and mean, obviously your, uh, your family farms, you're talking to guys every day and you're not, uh, you're, you know, you're not a seed salesman, you're not a, a, a machine salesman, each one of them is going to have, uh, think that, you know, have their, their piece is going to be the edge. But in actuality, technologies continue to advance across all of agriculture. And uh, it's, it's, it's helping increase the yields, you know, year in and year out. So that's good. All right. All right. So uh, last uh, softball, easy questions. Uh, you know, this one, I hate to even ask, but go ahead. Uh, tell me what's your biggest, boldest prediction for the Kansas City Chiefs? What's what's going to happen? Uh, we're going to run it back, I think. So, uh, <laughs> you know, really this time last year, they had like, I'd say maybe three losses on the schedule. 
they're learning a new defense, but, um, you know, the defense is going to continue to get better. I know they, they've been hit a few times, but, uh, you know, every team is adjusting how the Chiefs are running their offense. So now they're trying to put a bunch of people, you know, in the secondary and not let Mahomes throw. And so the Chiefs are figuring it out. They brought in Le'Veon Bell. They got, you know, the new rookie, the Clydesdale. And so they're figuring out how to run the ball. And really the line's banged up. So we're going to get some of those guys back and get even stronger. Uh, I think we're going two in a row. Nice. And are you uh, planning to go to some games this year? Uh, I would like to. Uh, I think tickets are really hard to come by with COVID and the restrictions. I think there's I'm trying to remember how many they're letting in, but the yeah. price of tickets quadrupled because I think they're only letting 25% of the people in. So we make up the cost. Oh, uh, really? So that's the first I heard this quadruple the price. Wow. So I, I'm not entirely certain, but a guy who had season tickets said that if he wanted to keep them, he had to pay four times the amount. And Come that on. Was their way of making wow. it. So that's nuts. Yeah. You, you and your dad, you guys went to, was it the AFC championship game last year? Yep. That's correct. So what was it? It was like, well, it was a day that it was five degrees, but uh, I think everybody was so jacked up. Nobody even really noticed it. Um, you know, it was kind of a, an interesting postseason. They trailed every game last year. I mean, they were down like 24 to the Texans and got right. down early to the Titans and had to rally back down to the, the 49ers as well. So the thing about them is they've won a lot of different ways. They've won ugly. They've won playing their way. They've grinded some stuff out. So. That's why I think they're versatile and going to run it back. Good deal. All right, another one for you. So uh, I hate to pitch you against uh, your hometown here, but is it uh, if you had to choose Beehive over in Colby versus uh, the Elephant right there in Hoxie, uh, wh where are you going? It's 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 uh, Friday night. You and Megan, you got some time. You're going to go. Uh, that's a tough one. They're two different locations. So. Uh -huh. I know. It depends on if you want, uh, you know, like a greasy cheeseburger, uh, you know, pool hall kind of feel, or if you kind of want, uh, you know, more of a luxurious night out. So uh, I think we go 50-50. One time we're going Beehive, and then the next time we're going the Elephant. I can't give you a straight answer on that. Yeah, that's, that's, that would have been tough. Yeah, I shouldn't have thrown Megan in there because that's like, you know, she wants to go to a nice place. So Yeah, usually whatever she says we do, right? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Well, We'll have to, we'll do the beehive again next time I come. Cause that was, uh, that place, that was, I was solid. You can't go wrong either way. Can't go wrong. And then the last, uh, last question is, uh, going, sticking with predictions. Uh, what's it going to be for the, for the Indians this year? You guys, uh, make it to the districts, you go in state. What's the, what's the goal? What's the plan? Well, um, uh, hopefully we, we have a postseason. Uh, yeah, you know, okay. Things going. There's going to be a lot of wishy-washy things going on. I think a lot of games are going to get moved or postponed or canceled. Um, a lot of it depends on, you know, the health of the team. Football's yeah. still going on. We do have one kid hurt right now that he's, he's trying to get back. Um, and then really, we, you know, we made it to state last year. We were 21-3. and three. Hope to make it back. Hope to, you know, have the – have the run there and we're really um you know the kids we're a deep team uh, we have a lot of kids that have experience it should be a fun year i just hope everybody enjoys it and we get a habit yeah that's right it's do whatever you have to do to keep the kids playing that's uh that's the way we've taken it the approach we've taken here too so yeah all right jake well hey thanks for taking the time uh jump on the podcast today and uh it's always great to see you of course and looking forward to catching up in january uh in person 
for a, for a beehive burger. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to The Hedged Edge. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at ag underscore RCM. Like our Facebook page under RCM Ag Services. And visit our website, read our blog, and subscribe to our newsletter at rcmagservices.com. If you like our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear them. 